Hello and welcome to Say That, podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. Yes! Yes, correct. Are you, will, you be, will you be bursting into song often in this episode? I, you know what? It's not only very possible, it's also very likely that I will do so in falsetto. Excellent. Ooh. We all look forward to that. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. I once saw Glenn do Fiddler on the Roof, and uh, it was something. Yeah, you joked. That was actually <laughs> a topic of conversation. A that. topic of conversation over our dinner table where <laughs> someone who came to the bridge knew our uh, very own and beloved Pete Lawson. Pete yes. is one of our part-time guys who uh, works as a result of Bridgebox. So Bridgebox helps yep. pay his salary. And uh, uh, this young lady let it be known that in a former life she knew Pete. In high school. In high school, and that he had done Tevya in Fiddler on no! the Roof. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which here's the thing, when the uh, the person wrote Fiddler on the Roof as a, a really a celebration of the culture of Russian Jews pre-Russian Revolution, I believe, I think exactly what they had in mind was it being performed by high schoolers in Wheaton, Illinois. Yeah. yeah. I think they really captured the uh, the depth and really the, the passion of a people and really yeah. got a hold of their culture and the kind of suffering that goes into that. Well, we're, I mean, we're not going to be you, able to live until Pete does a little Tevye. So totally. That's, that's, you know, that's how that goes. Well, you know, um, I can't help but notice you seem to be enjoying a... A treat there, Glenn. Jed, did you notice that? Because this is the first time someone's been eating something louder on the podcast than you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Seems yes. like things were the balance exactly is a little why. off. This is my bit, Fitzgerald. <laughs> this is my bit. But, you know, when I look at the packaging of the treat you just enjoyed, yeah. it's very distinctive. It is. Uh, tell me more about that. It's uh, orange and white. Okay. Indeed it is. The uh, correct shade of orange, I will point out. With a large letter T. Huh. That would be the copyrighted power T. Okay. Okay. Uh, it appears to be from uh, a place called the University of Tennessee. Oh, I didn't know they had one of those. How dare uh, you? Apparently, I think it's either <laughs> a school for dentistry. Okay. Or possibly welding. Okay. Okay, kind of like a technical college. Well, both. Uh, you know, so... What is orthodontia if not a combination of dentistry and welding? <laughs> well, <laughs> we seem to have nice. a very large tub of said, you know, dentistry uh, celebratory mints. Do right. we know how we got these? We do, and I want to declare a preemptive emergency. Wow. wow. That's right. You were about to declare an emergency. I wasn't. I was Re just asking leading questions. Re Jed was just being mints. every guy in the first two minutes of the infomercial. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have an actual emergency. Okay. I'm holding my hand. A note. Okay. This note was writ and sent in conjunction with these mints, these candies from... Tennessee. You're making fun of where I went to college and you're saying it was writ? That's true. <laughs> um, mm. While you... Maybe it's maybe it's like a writ of habeas corpus. Sure, right. We don't have that in America anymore. Here's, here's what this... Topical. <laughs> hot takes. <laughs> here's what this... this I, I'm just going to read what it says. For Glenn, yes. Jed, okay. 
and Matt. Sure. Okay. Someone conspicuously was left off this list. Interesting. Whoa. For Whoa. Glenn, Jed, Matt, while you are recording, say that. Wow. Think of Tennessee what? and know someone there loves you. Uh, and it's the singular you as opposed to the proper the pl- plural, which would be <laughs> right. y'all. Right. Uh, and uh, given that it's you, that could really only be one person, and my name is at the top of the list, so I'm assuming. Sure, I, sure. that seems. You know, in general, that someone loves everyone in general, but more specifically, right? probably. So would this be whoever wrote this really hurtful note, would this be them specifically wanting Matt and myself to know that we are not loved? Well, you know, it's it's not that you are not loved yet. It's just way less. Okay. That's all. Okay. By comparison, it's By as comparison. though we are not loved. Yes, Maybe it's it, just someone yeah. who really likes the show and feels that it would suffer if you and I weren't uh, cripplingly insecure about our performance. Okay. Okay. But, sure. But sure. It really motivates us along. <laughs> it will, and, and that's good for you. But here's the controversy. And this is a very controversial controversy. If he, if it were legal and he were not so litigious, this is where we would play a sting from Prince's controversy. Okay, very good. Okay. Thank you. Here's what happened. The person entrusted with delivering these items, yeah. one Lee Tiberius Younger. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Most people don't know that middle name. They don't know it because it's not true. <laughs> now. They call him LT. You notice his name isn't even on the Said list. Note. And here's what, here's what I'm going to tell you. Why? When we recorded the last podcast, I wasn't eating any candies. No. You weren't eating any candies. Not at all. Matt wasn't eating any candies. Yeah. This says, while you're recording this, think of Tennessee and know that someone loves you. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anybody loved me. No, not you know at all. Why? It's never there happened w- before. There wasn't no candies. Well, sure. to be fair, to be fair... Would you have been able to receive any kind of love at during a morning recording? Well, it's hard to take really just any kind of input or stimulus <laughs> sure. because my mind yeah, the, is, my whole body's in crisis because yeah. I'm awake before 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> the orneriness was out of control. Yeah, Both true and carefully pronounced, which it yes. needed to be both. So essentially what I'm saying is someone yeah. is withholding candy. Okay. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Is diverting, and I can't think of anything more treacherous than this. Is diverting candy meant for us and not sharing it? This is a witch hunt. I I didn't even know that those candies existed, and and I was left off the note. Well, here's both accurate. Here's what I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. I hold here. All right, enough with the foley. I I, I hold here (laughs) in my hands. We all get it. There's a lot of sound effects. They they got to hear it. I walked over to get the candy. Crunch, crunch, crunch. (laughs) We we all get it. Sound effects. There's a tub of candy. Right. But gentlemen, to my eye, that tub is at least half empty. What what sound does it make when you open it up? Let's find out. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> okay. It's at least half empty. <laughs> right. And no one, I mean, it'd be an insult to give someone a half empty tub of well, candy. Well, they, they, they wow. would, no one would do that. I mean, it's like message received. Right, 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 right. right. So, there is a candy thief. <laughs> Chad gets very angry every time he opens a bag of potato chips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Every this is single such an time. insult upon me. <laughs> Lays. <laughs> I'll show you eating just one. But in any event, yes. clearly there's a candy thief in our midst. No question. Who could it be other yeah. than Leland Tiberius Younger? I mean, the that name just keeps growing, folks. The, the treachery. The Etuli. I mean, it, look, 
here's what happens. Candy comes in. Right. Intended for us because people express their love through, to us through food. Sure. Which, as well they should. Which we encourage. You know, here's what Our happens. love can be bought, and it can be bought with sugar. Here's what happened. Lee looks at that situation, and he says, you know what? I could just have this all for myself. Yeah. I, wow. I'm being told to pass it along, but what I, I could just do is have it. I'll just take a little cut. Yeah. 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 But why, look, look, first of all, why would, if, look, my name wasn't even on it, why wouldn't I, if, why wouldn't I just take the whole thing? And you've never even seen and it. And isn't that exactly what the kind of guy that would take a cut out of a candy you, shipment you would You see take? how he's already thinking and plotting? Yeah. I mean, it's like outrageous. All right. Well, there have been a lot of accusations flying, but I think we need to focus on what's important. Okay. And that is inciting a competition for our love. Ooh, I always like that. Oh, that's good. I like that. So what we've got here is we've got uh, these are. Is this, like, <laughs> this going to be like a gladiator thing? A lot like that, that sure. would be awesome. Yeah, she'd be like Gladiator meets The Bachelor, which is a TV show I would watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a guy who's single, and there's a lion. Yes, and they're they're racing around <laughs> in a thing. Exactly, and then somebody either the the, the Bachelor or the lion gets a flower. Is sure. that what yes. happens? I'll watch that show. So we've got these are. Buttermint cream, right? Naturally and artificially flavored. There you Guessing go. one of those is a lie. Yes, but they are sports mints. Mm, okay. So we have something called buttermint cream that is college sports flavored, which is something that can only exist below the Mason Dixon line. Yes. Period. We've got them branded, as we pointed out, with the uh, the orange and white and the copyrighted power t it, why is it copyrighted because texas the university of texas stole a previous university of tennessee logo and copyrighted it that's actually a true thing so we went ahead and copyrighted the old power t there they're the tea sippers absolutely okay. but the, so the thing that tells me is i think we need to um fire up a competition for the official university of the say that podcast oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah i think the university of tennessee knoxville's got to be in the lead at the moment well, they they've they've you know they've come out the gate strong. They have, and uh, it's going to be tough to uh, match that pace. Both Lee and I are alumnus of that particular institution. It's some true. of us um, had to take a couple go rounds on that. Uh, some they, maybe someone who hosts this podcast who was. Uh, I like to say uninvited, <laughs> encouraged to take a little time off, right. but then came back through, and that was great. So you uh, know, so sounds, we got that, and then it, we got the we got the candies. We've actually had many people, multiple, both students and alumni from the University of Tennessee up here as part of host teams, right. sure, over the years. And uh, with Bridgebox, uh, some Belmont students. Yeah, it's an entirely different college in the same state. That's not how colleges work. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but that, we but, do have several subscribers who are UT alum. Right, but to, you know the Belmont people, they've made us brownies. Totally. That's also true. Right. You got to put them up in the mix. Pretty strong second place, yeah. I think, at Belmont. However, we've received a nerd care package from students, I believe it's Charleston? Yeah. I don't exactly South, remember what college. That's true. Yeah, that's... University the, of Charleston? Uh, college of Charleston. College of Charleston. Now, I know, Jed, you uh, graduated from Northwestern, which yeah. I think is like a small liberal arts school. It's, it's yeah. mostly kind of a Votech thing. 
Uh huh. Yeah. Did you did you study shepherding? Do I remember that right? Yeah, I think, I yeah. think it was TVVCR repair. Yeah, it was. It was really <laughs> a bad decision. Repair. That is hilarious, <laughs> and I will tell you why. Is because Jed Brewer graduated with a degree in electrical engineering yes. from one of the top from schools the top in the country, program. and and we just made a joke about it, saying VCR repair. <laughs> which that's is that's freaking hilarious. Which is what somebody's sixty year old aunt thinks yes. they mean when they yes. hear electrical engineering. Yes. That's exactly right. <laughs> I actually had a buddy in high school that didn't know what that was, and he wasn't trying to you know be mean. But so actually, I'm gonna you know, study electrical engineering. He's like, aren't those the guys like when the lights at your house don't work, they come in? And I said, close enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the opposite where I I was uh, related to a guy who has a has been for many years. He's a I think he's technically master electrician, mm-hmm. but uh, I am the uh, town Lee and I are from is super weird, and there are engineers and PhDs and scientists and stuff falling off trees. Right. So I just kind of assumed he was an electrical engineer and that that and electrician were the same job. Sure. And at some point, somebody explained to me with very clear terms why those are not the same job. <laughs> right. but, but you were referencing the, the small tech school that I went to. And right. Were, were you going to ask, have they ever done you anything like for us? Have they ever well, done anything to encourage been, your ministry? Yeah, they've been conspicuously silent. I'm, I'm trying to wonder. It's almost as if they don't like Jed and Jed don't like yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I would go with that. Okay. I would go with that. <laughs> I've been trying to imagine what sort of impression he might have left on them over there. I don't think they feel positively towards me. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that, that might be related to your alumni giving. <laughs> <laughs> or the lack thereof. Well, at one point, if you count repaying student loans as alumni giving. He's exactly. Given a lot. That's, that's at yeah. one point. This is a true story. I worked for a small company that you know used lab space on campus after right. I graduated, right. and they gave me a parking ticket one day, which furiously angered me. So I sent an email to the department chair of the engineering school and the alumni foundation and the parking people, explaining that of course they could expect a forty-five dollar check from me within the next week. Uh, but to really consider that um, an alumni uh, a gift, it, it would also be kind of my legacy gift as it would be the last money right. they would ever get out of me. Right. And I encourage them to perhaps endow a chair with that. Sure. You know, the, the Jed D. Brewer, professor of electrical engineering, has a lovely ring right. to it. So let's just go ahead and do that. I think that'd right. be a great way to close out this relationship. Yeah. They, they did not <laughs> receive that news well. At okay, all. so, so I, I don't see them sending brownies. No. no. You know. Glenn, you... you uh, Graduated from the University of Houston, I believe. I graduated a couple other colleges for that. I I uh, briefly attended San Jacinto Junior College, mm. uh, okay. home of the Fighting Ravens. Okay, totally. Um, uh, it was known as Princeton on the Prairie. Well, then was it? Uh, it was it. Mostly did not deserve the people, that reputation. How, how did the people at Princeton feel about that? You think? Really, super bad. <laughs> Uh, but uh, <laughs> I received a quality education uh, during these summers, summer breaks at the junior college, and then went to University of Houston. And um, do you I feel think, you left a, a a legacy of positivity and achievement at these institutions that I, you want to capitalize think, on? I think they're they're super not uh, at all interested in anything <laughs> to do with me because, likewise, I don't do anything alumni. Wise with them. So, uh, but uh, we also have 
a, rep, uh, a, a, a relationship with Wheaton College. But That's it's a rocky relationship. It. It's a rocky relationship. There's been ups. There's been downs. There's been, downs. There's been citations There's been, and red flags. There have been red flags. There's been a lot of red flags and a lot of concern. Yeah. A lot of, you know, you know what have yous. But let me ask you this. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Has there been candy? I don't think there's been candy. I feel like it's fair to say we may have done more giving than receiving in the Wheaton relationship. That's because kind of true. Not a joke. Last week, Wheaton was our host team at yes. the bri- our bridge service. Yeah, we should and, uh, announce that. On Monday night, we went. Uh, Glenn and I went over to where they were, uh, had a bunch of these uh, kids are doing a freshman. They have some weird name for their orientation thing, Passage, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, something like that. Urban, like urban Passage. Urban Passage. Mm. So, that uh, is not at all anything, you know, sort of colorectal. It's just, just it's no. A, it's a passage into greater things in the kingdom. Totally. Yes. So skipping over. It's not. It, it's over. not a bowel related. Yeah, we got that. You understand? It's not. Yes. It's not like this there's is a no blockage. longer double entendre. This is just you saying poop jokes it's a, on my it's podcast. A, it's a single entendre. <laughs> yes. Okay. Started out with colorectal, which had a layer of. Yeah. Subtlety to yeah, it. We pretty much of, skip that. Yeah, I just I just felt like I'm not sure. Wait, wait. Is is colorectal? Is that like a new flavor of soda? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. Okay. You, it sounds delicious. You get it in the twelve pack and okay. save some. All right, money. I'm gonna go ahead and cut that off and go back to the story because <laughs> wow. We so, could do an hour on colorectal. <laughs> yes, believe yes, we me. We could. We shouldn't, but we could. You know, that's why you guys should be thankful that we ever get to the point of being helpful on this podcast because we could go off on these bird dogs. Yes. New wild cherry colorectal, I'm told, <laughs> is delicious. It is. You got it. You got to get it. it just, right, I'm uh, not happy about ride it. Ride the flavor rush. That you get it. It's got the pure cane wow. sugar yeah. in it, and that's the way I'm not you happy about it, but to be fair, that was worth going back for. <laughs> So Glenn and I are going to do a little orientation with these these fresh-faced um, Wheaton youngsters, at which point, I forget how it even came up, but we let it slip that we had been officially red-flagged by yes. the administration, and they loved that yes. fact. Like, they we were went up it. several levels of esteem in their yeah. eyes. They were really excited to be dealing with Wheaton outlaws. <laughs> I think when we pointed out <laughs> that we may have done an unofficially licensed pirate podcast in this is the real name of this place the billy graham center <laughs> yes they got real interested in th- what we had to say all of a sudden yeah here's the thing though as as cool as we think we are the term wheaton outlaws is still the lamest yeah. possible yeah. Oh, yeah. thing that's correct that is correct it it is it is uh, pretty pretty poor and i'm going to tell you something else all right when we went over to see the the wheaton students over there yes. they're living in a little place over there sure. a little little dwelling a place is a good place to live okay, okay. And i believe in some fancy circles it's called an apartment okay now what happened is they just finished eating okay Guess how much they gave us to eat? Tell me. Nothing. Well, there you go. We were forced to go to a, a, a Chili's afterwards and have a large amount of melted cheese. As forced, to I say. Forced. Enchiladas made by kids who don't know how to make enchiladas over a misfunctioning stove in Uptown. Can you believe this is what we have to put up with? <laughs> well, it feels like if you're a, you know, a college aged person listening to this podcast i think you need to ask yourself what has your college ever done for say that sure oh yeah what we're what we're talking about is we're we're zeroing in and nailing down what is the official college of the say that podcast absolutely and essentially 
what we're saying here is you have to bribe your way into that. Absolutely totally. right. So, yeah. And we want to be clear, we're not tied into an American institution. Not at all. No, you, well, you got to have international campuses. Absolutely. Right. You know, whatever the... You Sister know. institutions. Yeah. Make us an offer. That's Make, the key that's thing. That's the key thing. Exactly. Is bribe us. Yeah. You got to bribe us. One way, if you really want to go over the top and bribe us, as we pointed out before, it's worth pointing out once again... If you're willing to get 30 people in a room and you're within driving distance of Chicago and Knoxville, Tennessee, we will come do this show live. Sure. Gotcha. You will regret it. <laughs> yes. We may be escorted off campus, but we will do your this audience, show live. Your audience will be belittled by Glenn. No well, doubt about yes. that. That's There's um, no applause hearty enough. Well, if they displease me, sure. then that's what's going to happen. Well, we will okay. come. <laughs> we will do the show for you. We will behave as well as we can, which isn't very good, it but will be you'll bad. get it. But nobody's taking us up on that yet. We kind of had our friend Grace, who had some pull at Wheaton, who kind of, we kind of co-sponsored a show between uh, the Wheaton Urban Ministry Club and say that there. But uh, if you got a space and 25 or 30 people, you can hook us up. And if you want to you wanna jump right to the top of that list of official... Would you like to knock any other microphones over? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> I just moved the entire table with all the recording equipment on it at once. Uh, a I'm table, getting in position. A, a table that holds only recording equipment and liquids. <laughs> and Glenn just gave it a hearty shove <laughs> just to make sure everything was in good working order. Now, what if I want to help to bribe, you know, most favorite college status, but I don't have 30 people in room, but let's say I have $8. And I might be able to come up with another eight dollars next well, that, month. That seems that's just crazy, Jed. I'm just putting it out there as a what if. Well, I was trying to think of a way to bridge this without directly go directly tying it into bribing, but I know there is one. So let's talk about bridge box. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get a lot of cool stuff for your own walk, support urban ministry, and pull off a bribe all at the same time, eight dollars a month. MissionUSA.com slash bridgebox. You get songs, sermons, lots of stuff based around a single topic this month's August. As we record this, is uh, how do I move past lust? We get, next week will be uh, next month will be specifically targeted as we talk about college for people starting college, just getting out of college. Which is what's the one th- what's the one thing I need to focus on for my walk with the Lord? Pretty something close. Like that. Basically, if you're starting out a new place, what is the, what are the essentials for your walk with the Lord? So that's all at missionusa.com/bridgebox. Eight dollars a month, lots of cool stuff, and bribe your way into our hearts. By supporting ministry. That's the best kind of We've love. We somehow yes. made supporting ministry socially unacceptable, <laughs> and that is just us all over. Or if yes. you want the special Lee Younger Brand version, which is same dollar, $8 a month, you get a brand new song from Lee, a little video lesson he does, uh, chord charts, lyrics, and some other stuff he's curated from previous Bridgebox at missionusa.com slash BBLY. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end. We will give you a way to get in touch with this. This one says, came in anonymously at our Tumblr inbox, and it says, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm a recent graduate, and I don't like my job and work. I want to go to grad school, but don't know in what, because I neither have the research experience, nor the money, nor the focus interest, because I have three or four things that I'd like to do and learn. I just feel overwhelmed right now and feel like I'm wasting my time. I was on track in undergrad, but I seem to have fallen off track. Glenn, can you kick us off? Yeah, I'm going to pick right up on the on-track, off-track uh, uh, language there that you're using. Here's the deal. I think uh, right around uh, sophomore, uh, junior year in high school, we start asking young people, so what are you going to do with your life? 
And the thing, and and uh, adults know, even though we shouldn't be asking all that, we we know that no young person that age has any idea what they're going to do with their life. Of course, we want them to start thinking about that and dreaming about it and imagining it and and considering it. That's why we're asking, and it's a good thing. But as you get out of uh, you know high school, uh, there's a sense of we're being given this story. Here's the story. You have to get into a really good school that relates to the major that you want to have. So you need to know the major, then you have to go to a school that does good stuff with that major. Then you have to make good grades in that major to get a job that relates to that thing that you've majored in. And the better you get with the grades, the more likely you are you are to have a job and to have a good job. Um, and so therefore, right around your you know, uh, senior year in, in high school, you need to know the full arc of all this, and and as he put it, you know, I, you know, this idea of being on track. I've got a track. I'm on. I'm. It's it's. Uh, I'm not going to deviate to the left or the right. I'm just going to you know pursue this thing. Uh, and it it occurs to me that this is uh, uh, fairly uh, nuts. You, know. you mean to make a 17-year-old decide what they think they should be doing literally two lifetimes from now? Yeah, exactly. I, I think if you find yourself at the end of this journey where you're at, I think you ought to feel like your response is kind of more normal, you know, to say uh, uh, this is what a 17-year-old thinks he should do, but not what I think I should do. And a 17-year-old that doesn't know how things work and you know maybe is afraid or maybe has a lot of parental pressure or whatever the thing is i think it's about getting uh, to a place where you recognize that um the world has a way and this is parents and its friends and it's everybody uh you know guidance counselors whatever the world has a way of coming to you and saying um uh, uh, in a world where you may be confused about what you need to do the best thing we can do is find something stable that will pay the bills, that will, so you'll have a stable economic foundation, and then you can figure out what you want to do from there. Well, what you're discovering here is by pursuing that mentality, we've we've put in a an amazingly huge amount of work. We've spent an amazingly huge amount of money to arrive at somewhere where we're miserable. Uh, the fact that we happen to have money to pay the bills is lovely, but if you're miserable, I don't know if y'all know this, you can be miserable for free. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. But the, the, uh, what if we did this in reverse? What if we said, let's take the thing that would be most thrilling and most exciting to you that you would most enjoy and then figure out a way to, um, make a viable living out of that thing. Uh, obviously, we've been doing much better, and obviously people who know how to handle these situations, that's what they're looking to do. But the problem we have is high school kids don't know what they would like to do. They don't get a chance to experience a whole lot. And if you think about it, a lot of Christian kids especially are really super sheltered. They don't participate in um, as many activities. They don't have as many varied friends or varied experiences. They're not dating. Their social life is much more narrow. They're spending a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time in the library with their head in a book and so on and so forth. It's hard to tell what about life you would enjoy. So uh, I think first and foremost, 
at, at this point, it's about giving yourself a break and saying, I, you know, I, 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 I did, I, I hit what I was aiming at. Uh, I was aiming at something safe and stable that I thought I would like to do. And this is what I ended up with. Uh, what you're describing is exactly my situation. I, I, you know, I had the, the idea that I wanted to do urban ministry. I thought being a chaplain would be the perfect way to do that. Uh, I was offered a chaplaincy that was crazy awesome for someone my age right out of college. I took it and I realized I'm spending 20, 30 hours a week doing paperwork and I'm it, with a tie on and I'm ready to, you know, uh, lose my mind off of that. I was able to quickly reroute into something fairly similar that had no paperwork and no office hours and had me on the streets working with guys directly in, in gangs here in Chicago. Um, I, I think the trip from where you are to where you need to be is a short one, uh, but it's about giving yourself that break and getting out of this thinking of I need to be on track, I need to have everything uh, regimented in that way. Absolutely, Lee. Yeah. Well, I love where Glenn's coming from on this, and I, I can say from experience of, of some of my friends that <clears throat> that the idea of going into grad school, like you finished your undergrad, and so now you want to look at going into a grad school, but you don't know what you want to do, and you have a feeling that you're wasting your time. I mean, I think that one thing that we can say is, let's not do the grad school right now. Um, because one thing that's for sure is I can tell you as somebody that's in, and as somebody in my mid thirties, all of my friends who went to grad school are still paying for it. Say mm. that they're all still, and you know, we're, we're in our mid thirties. Every single one of them are still paying for their master's degree. And the thing on that is some of them feel like that was a great decision. I'm so glad that I did that. I'm using it every day. Some of them are not doing anything related to that master's degree in any way. Uh, they're not doing anything that they wouldn't have been doing just with their bachelor's degree. And so, um, you know, I would say don't dive headfirst into a, into a, a, a graduate degree when you don't know that that's what you want to do. I think the thing, that, uh, the thing that, that catches my eye about this question is this idea of wasting time. Um, that that's the whole deal, and 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 I wonder if the feeling that you have isn't part of a construct. It's it's the it's the it's the construct that Glenn was talking about in the very beginning of his answer. That that in the West, especially, we get we get kind of uh, we get kind of indoctrinated with this idea that you go to school, you get your grades, you go to so that you can go to a good college, so that you can go to a you know get a you know get a good job and so that you can raise kids who get good grades and go to a good school and get a good job and and there's this kind of cycle. And the feeling there is if I'm not doing something related to that pathway, then I'm wasting my time. But the truth is wasting your time depending on who you talk to has a million different definitions. I can tell you that there are a lot of people that I know who um, who have fantastic degrees, who have wonderful connections, who have very high-paying jobs, and, and and this is just me being perfectly honest. When I look at their life, I would rather do anything else than the stuff that they <laughs> yeah. do. I would rather. I, I'm serious. I would rather be in a dungeon. Than to than to have those jobs. I mean, I, I I have a very very good friend who manages people's money for a living, 
in in a city right next to where I live. And I mean, this dude knows people that literally make five to 10 times the amount of money that I make. And he said, they're all in debt up to their ears. They're all miserable. And they all feel like their life has no point whatsoever. And they all had the graduate degrees and they all have the best job that you can have in that field in their city. I mean, the best job, you know, in their thirties and stuff. And they, and all of these dudes, all of these dudes have the clothes, the house, the cars. They, they rode that pathway that Glenn was talking about right to the end. They won. If that thing was a competition, they won it. But if you were to give them truth serum, they would tell you they are wasting their lives. And that's not everybody in that thing, but it happens a lot because people think we get indoctrinated that that is what's going to bring us purpose. It doesn't actually include purpose. If it's not what you were made to do, and if it's not what, if you're not doing anything that gives you life, I'll tell you for me, every single day I wake up and I thank God that I get to do something that has to do with his kingdom. Now, not everybody that loves Jesus is going to serve the kingdom full time. This, I, I consider it an absolute privilege that I get to serve in the kingdom full time. I'm so thankful for that. But everybody who loves Jesus, you have a place in the kingdom. And whatever your job or whatever your schooling or whatever it is, if you want to find something, some meaning and purpose in your life, find out what God's made you for in his kingdom. And maybe it's something that, maybe it's something that he's calling you to do two, three hours a week on top of some other job, on top of some other livelihood or whatever. But that two, three hours a week becomes kind of the driving force for where your heart and where your burden and where your prayers go and where you're growing and where your learning goes. That you find my place in the kingdom is the place that makes me feel like the rest of this stuff isn't wasting my time. This this is the thing that I was made to do. And 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 yeah, I, I go to this job and I provide for my family and those are all very good things. Those are all very honorable and awesome things to provide for your family and to, and to work your job and to have your livelihood, but to have, to find your place in your kingdom that in, in the kingdom of the Lord, that's where you're going to, that's where you're going to start to solve this problem of feeling like I'm wasting my time. Absolutely. Jed. Well, we really appreciate you right now. We really appreciate your question. I'm sorry you're going through a rough time. Um, uh, I know firsthand what it is to have a job that you hate and be miserable and depressed off of that. And uh, we're, we're with you. And we're, you, don't, you don't mean the job you have now. No, 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 no. The job you have now you love desperately. Well, I've been meaning to talk to you, Glenn. <laughs> you, you love it whether you love it or not. Absolutely. I'm actually, I'm, I'm talking about the jobs I had right out of college, exactly where this person is. And, and those jobs were horrible. Now, the interesting thing about them is those jobs were the job you're supposed to get. Um, you know, the, the, the jobs that, that I had, you know, kind of right around college were all, they were the good job. This is, this, is, this is what we trained for, and they were horrible, and I was depressed every day and hated my life, and it was just awfulness. And so to the extent that that's where you're at, uh, uh, bro, we're, we're sorry, and, and we feel you. The thing that leaps out to me about your question is where you say, I have three or four things that I'd like to do and learn, and then you go on and say, I just feel overwhelmed. My question is, if you have things you'd like to do, why aren't you doing them? Because right. I think we really need to get into that. In other words, there's a lot of people where they feel stuck in life because nothing appeals to them. There's nothing they want to do. There's nothing they want to learn. There's nowhere they want to go. Everything's just kind of shades of gray, and it's just all awful. And, and that's kind of its own problem. But if you've got stuff where you're saying, you know, I'm curious about this. I'd like to do this. I'd like to learn about this. I'd like to experience this. I think we need to take a very long, hard look at why exactly you're not working on those three or four things right now. I think a lot of it has to do with um, how we feel about taking chances. The truth is that 
a healthy life involves taking chances. A healthy life involves risk. It involves trying things with the knowledge they might not work out. But Christians don't like that. Christians as a culture of people, they want everything to be safe all the time. They want everything to be lined out. They want to know how it's going to end before they start it. They want to know that it's guaranteed to succeed before they begin it. They want to know that this is a safe, secure option. And there's two problems with that. The first problem is life actually doesn't work that way. Um, That's just, that's actually not available to anyone. And certainly a healthy, fulfilling life definitely does not work that way. Uh, If if you think of anyone in your life that you look up to that's a hero to you, you really like, man, I like the kind of life they have, I guarantee you, you'll find repeatedly them taking risks was a big part of them becoming who they are Um, that's thing one but here's thing two is um, the Christian life mandates taking risks and I want to repeat that an authentic biblical Christian life mandates taking risks I bet you know the story in the Bible it's the parable of the talents it's the story that Jesus told where there was a, a landowner who went on a very long trip and he entrusted a certain amount of his property to three of his servants he said I'm going to evaluate how you did with what I gave you when I get back and as you know in the story two of them did really good and one of them played it safe um, well there's two takeaways the first is the one who played it safe the master was not pleased that's great. Um, the, right. the response was no that's not what I wanted the second thing though that doesn't get talked about a lot is the other two doubled his money he said you gave me you know uh, 10 units of money I'm giving you back 20 units of money the only way the only way you double somebody's money is taking enormous risks with what they've given yes. you that's the only way that you do that and what you'll see my friend as you look throughout the Bible and particularly throughout the New Testament is it's all people taking risks huge yeah. crazy faith-based risks for Jesus that's the whole thing again and again and again but that actually doesn't really get talked about in Christian culture because we don't like risk the reason I'm going on about risk is I think that's what's before you if you have things you're interested in if you have things you're passionate about, if you have things you're curious about and you're not pursuing them I think on some level you're afraid of the risks you're afraid of what would happen you have a secure job you did the smart thing you did what you're supposed to do what what happens if you go out and live this grand adventure of a life and you fall flat on your face and you run out of money and you look like a fool and you have to call mom and dad and say come bail me out what happens well who knows who cares that's not a good reason to not start walking in those directions if you have things in your life you're passionate about you're excited about that's a great gift there are people who would sell their right arm to have something in their life that they were interested in doing something in life they could feel excited about I'd encourage you start taking risks ask the Lord for courage and then figure out how do I start walking towards those three or four things that I'm interested in passionate about excited about and I think the Lord's gonna meet you in the midst of that journey that's all great stuff. And tie a couple of quick things on the end of this. One, everybody has times they don't like their jobs. Everything, every job has something about it that is super boring, and that's why you get paid to do it. That's kind of one of the whole things about having a job. I think one of the things that people, when they kind of get out of school and you know it's free and it's the working world, it comes as a massive shock that the working world can and often is way, way more tedious and boring than school ever was. Yeah. So if you're a certain kind of person, you can take that as a indication that this is not the right path for you and kind of freak out about it. That may not be the way to go. As Jed's saying, maybe it's that you hate this and this is numbing you and you got to bail. That definitely could be the case. It also could be the case that you've been at an entry-level job for three or four months and that's just the beginning of an entry-level job is going to be boring because it's a lot of HR forms and learning you know, where to put the, uh, the TPS reports and all that stuff. That's fine. 
a couple quick things on that. If you're, as Glenn pointed out, if you're, quote unquote, falling off track in the current economy involved a college degree and a job that pays your bills, that's a pretty positive way to fall off track. You may not, you don't want to stay there forever. It doesn't mean that everything's exactly as it, you doesn't mean you need to lock everything into cruise control, but that's not really a panic situation. That's a be thankful for some stability and look around and take some time to get good wisdom on my next step situation. The other thing I can tell you is true for all four people in this podcast. We all got to wear what we do professionally today because of starting out volunteering with something. Yeah. For Glenn, yeah, that yeah. was a youth ministry, and then at the jailhouse. For Jed, that was doing some music for Glenn. For me, that was doing youth ministry and then volunteering a couple times up here. For Lee, that was uh, volunteering with uh, the church youth group that he, where he's just the church leader now. You don't have to do something professionally for it to have min- for it to be your ministry. 80, 90% of people who do really full-on, world-beating, kick-butt ministry do not do it as their profession. They have a job they go to, and then they take the resources from that, and they put their energy into this thing, as Lee was saying, that's a couple of days a week on Sunday. It's on Sunday and Wednesday, whatever. You can do that, and the beautiful thing about that is you can do that now without having to risk having to live outside in a tent if it doesn't go badly. Right. While you can figure out that if you want to go to school, if you want to, if you want to take another uh, professional direction, that's all great. But right now, you can go to work. You can survive that. You can figure out what you like and don't like about that while pursuing a job, while pursuing some volunteering, be that youth ministry, be that a homeless ministry at a shelter, some kind of least of these ministry. Beautiful thing about volunteer stuff, too, is if at any point you don't like it, you can just stop. Yeah, You don't have to keep... We know a lot of people, unfortunately, who... Started out on a bad path, but it's a ministry job. And now they don't like the ministry, but they don't like the job, but it's how they feed their family. So they got to keep doing this forever. Yeah. And as Lee was pointing out earlier, that is not a fate I would wish on anyone. That's terrible. You're in a stable situation. You've got some interests. You can start volunteering, find out what, what really you like and don't like. And you can start this process of figuring stuff out and getting, to use your words, back on track. All right. We're going to jump to our next question here. It came in anonymous. Go to tell me where it says. I've been a ballet dancer for 10 years now. I didn't realize until this year that I'm miserable and it's not my dream and maybe it's not God's dream for me either. It's everyone else's dream for me. My family, teachers, and peers are counting on me to be a great ballerina, but I haven't been asking God what he wants. I'm scared he will want me to move on and I'll feel like a failure for the rest of my life. How do you Mm. conquer fear and follow God's plan? Lee, can you start us off? Yeah. um, First of all, I am so sorry. Um, obviously I've never met your parents, but I know your parents. Yeah. Um, here's the thing, dude, I, I, <laughs> I am so sorry. This is a, this is a sucky situation to be in. Um, and like working with young people for a long, long time, I've seen these parents, I've seen the dance parents, I've seen the, uh, baseball parents, I've seen the football parents, I've seen the soccer parents, I've seen the uh, swimmer parents and the tennis parents. Don't forget the band um, parents. The band parents have warranted oh, their place on this list. That's right. The band parents for sure. Th- this is this is no kidding. I um I I knew a uh, I knew a high school kid who was so good at who was so good at swimming. This these parents had this had all their kids in the water from the time that they could put food in their mouth. This kid was such a good swimmer. She was like a tenth off of an Olympic 
like uh, an Olympic swimming time as a junior in high school, and they were like, next year she's going to the Olympics. Like she's going, she just keeps getting better. She's going to the Olympics. She started her senior year, just quit, just quit, and the parents imploded they absolutely imploded and this girl just blossomed it was the greatest thing never that seen ever a happened. happier human being than this girl the week after she quit swimming yeah absolutely here's the thing um i'm so sorry that this is happening to you i'm so sorry that you've been living for 10 years under the shadow of everybody else's dreams first of all you know, I, it's awesome that you have some aptitude in this thing. And I hope that you can look back on some of your years of dancing and, and take some joy out of it. And that someday you can do something. Maybe someday you can come back to dancing and enjoy something about it. But I would highly encourage you to consider telling everybody in your life, I'm done with this. If you're done with it, be done with it. Because you don't have to do it. it. One thing that you've probably heard us say on this podcast a lot is you can't navigate your life by fear. And you shouldn't navigate your life by trying to please everybody else in it. The thing that happens is, okay, and, and I happen to know this about dance. If you've been doing dance for 10 years, you're probably 15 or 16 years old right now. Um, you have a whole lot of life in front of you. And there are a ton of things that you could do with your life. And you've spent a long, long, long time dancing. And one of the things that I really don't like about our culture is that they're like one of the, like the, the worst bad words in, like in our culture is the word quitting. And parents can hold kids hostage under things by telling them that the worst thing that you can possibly do is quit something because you've made a commitment to your team or you've made a commitment to your troop or you've made a commitment to this or that. And they use these words commitment and quitting in ways that don't have anything to do with things that are honorable about making a commitment and stuff like that. I mean, when somebody's 14, 15 years old, holding them hostage to a to a, a, a team that they're on is that is not the correct way to use these kinds of terms. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with you saying, you know what? I'm kind of done with dancing for now. I'm going to hang up the, the dancing shoes. I'll come back to it later. Maybe. I don't know. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you doing that. I love the idea that you're saying I, that you're recognizing in yourself this whole time I've been doing what everybody else wants for me and I haven't even stopped to figure out what does God want me to do with my life. Let me just tell you something about yourself. If you don't know this, I, I want you to hear this about yourself. You are miles, miles ahead of so many other people Amen. just because you're asking that question. Amen. There are so many people who have never gotten within the zip code of saying, you know what? I wonder what God thinks about my life. I wonder what God thinks about the gifts that he's given me and what he wants me to do with myself. The, the fear that most people live in is that they would never ask that question. But when you're talking about, I'm afraid that if, I move, if God wants me to move on, I'm afraid I'll feel like a failure. If you stop dancing today, you are not a failure. You are not a failure at all. That's your, your life, whether or not you're a failure at life has nothing to do with whether or not you are a ballerina. Okay. And, and that's something that, <clears throat> that's something that you should be able to stand up and tell your instructors. You should be able to tell the people in your troop, you know, the people that are on your dance team. I don't even know what the terms are. And, uh, and, and especially your parents, I can tell you this as, as a parent, 
the way that my wife and I feel about our kids is we see aptitude in them, you know, see aptitude in different kids for different things. But the only thing that we want to do is encourage them to find what they truly love and encourage them in that vein. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to write the script for their life. We want to give them the, we want to give them the tools and the encouragement to go where they want to go. And, uh, and, and, Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, they'll they'll feel that that they're not under pressure, that they're not under pressure to do anything that they don't want to do. That that we're just there to uh, to cheer them on and encourage them. And I hope and 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 I'll pray along with you that if, as you have this conversation, that your parents will see it that way and say, you know what, all we want to do is encourage you. And uh, we definitely want to pray for you. We know that you've got the courage to, to have that conversation, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you finding your own way. But even asking the question of, I wonder what God wants for my life, you're miles ahead of the game, and we've got your back on that. Absolutely great point. Jed? Well, darling, we're sorry you're going through this rough time. Um, we love you. We believe in you. The, the most important thing we want you to know is you can make this hard choice, decide to do something else, and, and live through it. Um, you can do this. You've you've got what it takes to do this. Um, uh, Lee's absolutely right in everything he said. Here's the thing, and, and this needs to be super clear, is that uh, the stuff you're struggling with actually doesn't have anything to do with ballet. Um, this particular play um, happens again and again and again and again in, in families all over the world. And um, what I suspect has been put on you is um, a thought of basically you have to save your family. Um, I'm, I'm mm. guessing that you are in a family right. with a lot of issues and a lot of problems, and the one thing that brings us all together is ballet. And if you could just be a good enough ballet dancer, then everybody would be happy, and mom and dad wouldn't fight, and they wouldn't get divorced, and everything would be great, and we'd all be fine. And the problem with that is, A, it's completely not true in any way, shape, or form, and B, that pressure should never, ever have been put on you. Um, right. And and all of us are, are really, really sorry that it was. Uh, ballet, uh, my, my little niece does ballet. It's beautiful. It's lovely. It's also just dancing. It's, it's just people dancing around. That's, that's all it is. Understand, I do music as a big part of my job. Music is just people making noise. That's, that's all it is. Uh, uh, things have meaning when we use them to serve our fellow man. Um, they become meaningful in that moment. But, but on its own, music is just noise. Dance is just people moving around. It doesn't intrinsically have any power to save anyone or keep families together or anything else. It's just people right. moving around. That's, that's all it is. To the extent that it's fun... And that you have fun with it, you should keep doing it. Uh, to the extent right. that at some point in your life you find a way to use dance to serve people who are going through a rough time and, and honor Jesus with that, that's great. That's lovely. You could do a dance team with little kids at, at church. Exactly right. But the moment that we're looking at this pursuit, whether it's academics or art, dance, anything, the moment we look at this thing and say, this is going to keep the family together. This is going to make us all okay. That thing has become, if you want a technical definition, that thing's become an idol in our life is what that thing has become yeah. in that moment. We're, we're um, giving that thing power it doesn't have and, and shouldn't have. And what I want you to know that is that's not your fault. Other people put that on you. Other people told you, if you'll, if you'll just be a good enough dancer, everything will be okay. That shouldn't have been told to you. That shouldn't have been put on to you. And what's before you now is the hard choice of saying, am I willing to take off of myself what was put on me? Um, you have what it takes to do that. Um, you, you already know what the right answer is. Uh, we're confirming that back to you. Um, but you have what it takes uh, to, to make that hard choice, to, to make a change in your life. And we stand with you. We're praying for you. 
we're lifting you up. If there's anything at all that we can do, write us, hit us on email or inboxes. Uh, we, we'd love to know how you're doing, how that's progressing. We've got your back. You're not facing this alone. You can do it. Absolutely. Glenn? Well, uh, ditto what Jed's saying here. We, we have your back on this thing, and uh, we respect that this is a tough situation. Uh, these guys mopped up all, all the main points. Let me hit something. And I'm going to kind of come at this from left field, but if you stick with me, I think you'll see what I, I mean by it. Um, you know, the Bible talks about coveting, you know, and envy, those things that covet and envy. And w- what it's really talking about is, is um, uh, you know, having desire. You see something you want and you, you, you desire it. Well, I'll, I think the perception that we have is that, that we mostly envy things that we don't have that we want but in reality we often envy the most the things we already have yeah now that sounds weird when i say that but if i say here's a model who covets having beauty she's already got it but she covets having it and keeping it and not losing it whatever and is obsessed about it you know it it, it, it she, she could just decide, eh, I'm good looking enough. That's, I'm going to stand pat. She won't. <laughs> she won't. But that's uh, the people that nobody worries about money, like people who are rich. I mean, they really, poor people, of course, worry about money. No question. Rich people really worry about money. The market's really tough right now, man. Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know how we're going to make it. They feel unstable no matter how much money they've got. You know, people sort of in the middle can often be chill about it and feel like, eh, you know, it's 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 enough is enough. And I, I, I got my bills paid and my head above water, so life is good. Um, but it's, it's often when we have a lot of something that we sort of in a way covet it. And here's the thing that I've noticed. Sometimes we can covet that good regard from adults and parents. We covet that good feedback. We covet being the good kid, being the one, you know, meet, right. you know, meeting expectations. That gives us a nice little rush. And then so we keep working hard because we keep wanting to have that feeling. But what you're doing in that instance is you're saying, I need someone else external to me to change a feeling inside of me when you could just change the feeling inside of you because it's your feeling, it's, it's, it's in your head. You can do whatever you want. Other people can't make you feel better about yourself. So the idea of, the, of having an external thing make you feel good internally is a little wonky to begin with. But now we add the parents into the situation. Here's the crazy thing with the parents. is the parents are taking their self-esteem from you yeah, right. In exactly the same way. They're saying that because they're the ballet parents, people say, what's up with you? Hey, guess what? My kid's doing ballets. I win parents. Yeah. You're not a good. What is your kid doing? Well, he, you know, uh, uh, plays video games and digs in his behind. So what are you, you know, with this? That, that's not, uh, <laughs> you know, we can't brag on that. See? So what, what, what we have to understand is everyone's trying to derive their. Uh, uh, self-esteem from everything else. It's not internal. You're, you're not saying, hey, I'm a good parent and uh, my kid is happy and that's what matters. And if, if ballet makes the kid happy from A to B, that's fine. If ballet doesn't make the kid happy from B to C, the thing that makes me a good parent is I got the kid out of that thing that's not making them happy. 
in and that I'm able to uh, assess that situation and roll with it. So um, uh, I, I think that's what we need. I think in terms of the problem, that's the way we need to look at it. Uh, we also need to be very clear on this. These people will get over it. Won't kill them. All these people get over it. Come on you'll now. See, you'll, that's right. You'll say, I'm not doing ballets anymore. And they say, well, how can it be? What? You're throwing your life away. You have a gift. You must. And they, and they, and they tell you how much, and you know how much money we've spent on this in the last You're exactly years? right. And it's, it's a way of saying, I enjoyed every moment of it. You enjoyed every moment of it. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm miserable. Now it's over. And I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how good a moment this is going to be for you. It'll make, you'll be miserable. They'll be miserable, whatever. But trust me when I tell you, this is a skill you will come back to again and again where all the expectation is running one way and it's not the right thing and being able to put your foot down and say, it's not going to kill you to have to explain to the neighbor lady why I'm not doing ballet anymore. That we're go ahead and get your mind used to the idea. I'm not doing this ballet, you know, um, and maybe reevaluate where your self-esteem is coming from. Um, final thought on that people pleasers are people pleasers never really succeed people pleasers you're talking about feeling like a failure people pleasers never really succeed here's the reason why because you have to keep doing things in order to keep that that good feedback so you never arrive anywhere you never accomplish things successful people work they do stuff they achieve stuff, then that's it. I got this degree. That's it. I hang it on the wall. I got it. I don't have to keep fighting to keep it. It's there. I've achieved that thing. I have succeeded at the thing I set out to do. But people pleasers jump through hoops to get people to like them. And you know what's waiting for them on the other side of that hoop is another hoop. You know, that's it. So there's no success to that. You feel like a failure if you don't please people. You you know, people pleasing leads to a life where you're never succeeding. That's all really good stuff. A couple of things I'm going to go ahead and throw in here right at the end. Um, I, the thing, that, the only part of this question that worries me is that I'm scared God will want me to move on and I'll feel like a failure for the rest of my life. Why do you perceive that God wants you to feel like a failure for the rest of your life? Yeah. As we've all been pointing out, and we're being pretty hard on your parents, and like Lisa pointed out, we don't know them, but we've all met parents like this, <laughs> and that's yeah. who we're really mad we, at. But uh, We know. It sounds like your vision is of some authority figure who only wants you to be happy if you're doing things in a very narrowly prescribed way that makes them happy. And you're applying that to God. I wonder where you picked up this idea hmm. of this kind of parental force who's only happy if you're slightly miserable. So, you know, God doesn't want you to be miserable. Now, it's possible you'll let off the ballet for six months, a year, and you'll say, you know what? Maybe I was going through a tough time. I really like dancing. Maybe I'll go back and do it, as these guys point out, more casually. Or there's, you know, there's a lot. I, right. get, I don't know what town you live in, but I'm betting there's a lot of little girls who would love to do some ballet whose parents cannot afford ballet lessons. You could do that all over the place. You'd have fun. They've had fun. Hello. It'd be great. God does not want you to be miserable. So we can, yeah. that's not going to happen. You're not going to pursue the Lord's plan, and he's just going to put as much suffering on you as possible. Another thing I will point out, I'm going to double down on what Glenn said when they will get over it. This list of people, you know, my teachers and my family and my peers are all counting on me to be a great ballerina. Your peers right now, when you guys all graduate high school, they're all going to split 
and they're not really going to care whether you're a great ballerina. If anything, yep. they will watch the pictures of you being a great ballerina on Facebook and hate you. Yep. <laughs> your teacher does. Here's how much your teacher probably cares about you becoming a great ballerina. It's really good for their bottom line if they yeah. can put on the tune. But if you came to them tomorrow and said, I don't have any money to pay for lessons anymore, I don't guess they would go, I just believe in your talent so much. I will give you free lessons forever. That's a business transaction. That's not a love transaction. Doesn't mean your teacher's not a bad, a good person or whatever, but that's business. You give them money and they give you ballet lessons. We've already gone over the parent thing. It's not great. Everybody will get over it. Here's what you might end up doing. This isn't an ideal situation, but it may be what happens is you say, look, I don't like ballet. I don't like the pressure on it. I'm just going to dance and forget about the pressure because when I'm 18 and I'm out of these crazy people's house, the dancing is gone. So I don't have to deal with that. That's what I was saying. If it makes you miserable, ideally you drop it today. But a lot of times you got to go along to get along in a family. And the beautiful thing about turning 18 in the United States of America or probably wherever you're from is your parents can't tell you to do stuff anymore. Yep. That legal relationship is gone. You could, you can take out some loans, you can pay for your own stuff, and they will have to get over it at that point. Yeah. So as we're saying, an ideal situation would be dropper right now, but it's a secondary situation because a lot of times in life the ideal situation isn't feasible to us right now. And if you are 16, you could yeah. relax, not worry about being a great ballerina, just dance because you enjoy it, and then when it comes 18, tell everybody to kick rocks. Perfectly valuable solution. I hope we've given you a couple of options for how to handle this. And like these guys have all said, we will be praying for you. Jump to our last question here. It came in anonymously. It says, how can you make a relationship Jesus-centered? How can two come closer by growing closer to God? Jed, can you kick us off? I can. You can make a relationship Jesus-centered by using your relationship to serve Jesus together. That's how you do that. Um, uh, the truth is that the point of a Christian marriage and, and kind of by proxy, the, the point of a serious Christian dating relationship is to serve the Lord more effectively as a couple, uh, than you could separately. That's, that's actually the point of a Christian marriage. And again, kind of by extension of a serious Christian dating relationship. Um, if you, if you want to make your relationship Jesus centered, um, figure out how to serve the Lord together and how to support each other in a way that where the whole is more than the sum of the parts. Um, uh, this is true. Uh, I know for all of us on the podcast who are married, which is three of us, but not four of us, there's one notable exception there. Please date Matt. Ladies, it's mainly to hurt you. You know what to do. Um, but for all of us... Um, sounds like putting out a hit, but let's just skip over that. Absolutely. For all of us, our marriages enable us to do far more effective ministry than we were able to do when we were single people. Um, there's there's no question uh, that's true. Um, uh, for my wife and I, we're a team. Um, we, we face you know everything, uh, but particularly ministry stuff and, and serving the Lord as a team, uh, we face it together. And that makes us far, far, far more effective. That makes us more resilient. That makes us stronger. And again, that's that's actually the point. That's, that's how that's meant to work. What won't work, and I want to be crystal clear on this, is just kind of being married for the sake of being married and just focusing on togetherness and just... Um, t togetherness as a, as a means to itself, that actually just leads to two unhappy people um, is, is what that leads to. It leads to a, a lot of invented drama, um, a lot of kind of uh, grasping at straws of, of ways to find meaning. Um, if you take your relationship and figure out how can we use this as a tool to serve the Lord together as a team, you will find that you have an unbelievably Jesus-centered marriage and you will find that it's bringing you both closer to the Lord and closer to each other. Absolutely, Glenn. First thing is throw out the formulas. 
I get the feeling that with lots and lots of uh, couples, they, they've read a lot of Christian books. They've gotten into a lot of, uh, uh, you know, here's uh, t- 12 steps to make sure you have a really quality Christian relationship. Whatever you do, don't do this. That'll ruin it all. You touched one another. It's over now. Uh-oh. You know, the demon of lust has entered the picture. We're going to, you know. <laughs> so there's a lot of, as we've talked about on the podcast before, a lot of people approach dating as if they're diffusing a bomb and they don't know which wire to cut, lest it all explode in their face. That's not how this stuff works. So step one, let's throw the formulas out. Here's why. Because uh, you are both unique individuals. This relationship's going to be unique. You have to figure out what works for the two of you. Now, what we can all give you uh, is uh, principles that you can apply and good, good things that you can apply. Here's, I'm going to keep this super simple for you. What you want the relationship to grow in Christ the same way that each of you individually grows in Christ. So, for example, when things go wrong, this is a big thing in our walk. When things go wrong, and it, for us as individuals, what happens next has a lot to do with the strength of our walk, the quality of our walk, whether we get closer to the Lord, whether we get further away from the Lord, is when things go wrong. I don't know about anybody else listening to this podcast, but for me, if the Lord says to himself, let us cause growth to take place in this individual, step one is something goes wrong, and yeah. then I have to figure out how I can be a better person lest I just go nuts from the situation. So um, it's the same thing in a relationship. When things go wrong in a relationship, there are some couples where you got a, a sweet Christian gal, a lovely Christian guy, things go wrong, and the last thing anyone's thinking about is praying about it, yep. asking God what he says about it, uh, taking time to get into the word about it, calling in a mentor or a pastor to kind of give some advice to that. Sometimes uh, when we get into that wrong, uh, 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 when something goes wrong, we just immediately steer towards the ditch, yep. <laughs> and things immediately start going wrong. Uh, so we're, those are the kinds of things we're looking at. When things go wrong, what will we do? How will we handle that? How do? What's our procedures for that? So, you know, with me, there, there's some people, they get angry and then they calm down. So if they're angry, it's better for them to leave the situation and come back. For me, if I'm mad and you walk away, then you come back later, you will find that anger has been boiling and getting worse this whole time. Let's just deal with this right now and squash it so I don't have to feel that way. Uh, similar thing, in your individual Christian walk, you have to constantly look at what's holding me back. That's the whole thing. Everything with growth is what's holding me back. Is it a habit? Is it a, men- a mentality about something? Is it stress? Is it fear? Is it having a, a, a sense of guilt about something? Whatever it is. That's what we deal with as individuals. It works the same thing within a couple. What's preventing me, as Jed was talking about, from being a good partner and a good team member? Uh, am I bad at communicating, for example? Am I bad at um, uh, listening to other people? Am I bad with um, uh, being kind of, uh, I'm talking to the males now, being a little bit rude and not Wait, not behaving very well and those kind of things. If we're bad at the, that stuff, we have to go back and say, Lord, why am I like that? Is it just laziness or is there something behind that? We want to get healing on that. We get, want to get some transformation. But the whole idea behind that is we're using the same things we do as individuals to bring Christ into the relationship so he can work with that relationship. Nice. Absolutely, Lee. 
I love that. I love that idea. I'm going to come in on that same thing there of of using the same thing with your individual walk that you use as a couple. And I would say each of you needs to get people. You need to get people that you trust who have a lovely marriage, who have a great walk, and uh, the the you know the girl that you're dating needs to have a woman in her life who can show her, you know, who can talk to her and pray with her and 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 give her advice and tell her where she needs to grow. And you need to have a dude in your life who who's not afraid to tell you, hey, your girlfriend won't tell you this, but this is where you're an idiot, you know? And uh, and this is the mistake that you're making. This is the part that you need to clean up. So you both need to get people. The last thing, um, the last thing I would say on this, and it's something that I stole from Matt because I read his website today, is, uh, uh, this was just great, so I'm going to steal it from you, Matt, is... Uh, I'm used to it. Just because... <laughs> just because a relationship is Jesus centered doesn't mean you're going to get married. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, there, there, I, I tell this to guys all the time. Um, whenever it, whenever you get to the place where, you know, if, if you feel like it's going to be time to break up, there's a Jesusy way to do the breakup too. Okay. You might have to break up and that's okay. That's the way these things go. That's why we talk about part of dating is putting yourself out there and risking that this relationship might not work out and all that kind of stuff. So learning how to do that well, learning how to break up with somebody in a way that involves kindness, in a way that involves honesty and all that kind of stuff. So there's a Jesus-y way to do all of the aspects of this thing. It might Just because it's Jesus-centered doesn't mean it's going to make it all the way to a marriage, okay? You might not fit with this person. So there, there's a Jesus-y way to do all of these things, but I would say get people in your life and know that this might not be, you know, it, it might not go the distance just because it's Christ-centered. That's an absolutely great point. All right. If you have a question for us, you can say that podcast at gmail.com or thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Remember, if you write into the Tumblr, if you definitely want your question answered on the podcast, please specify that. We're going to do something a little different on the way out this week. We're going to normally we kind of end with the same outro music we've had for a couple of years. We're going to start uh, mixing in some Bridgebox songs. Whoa. We make a lot of these. Particular, uh, particularly Lee and Jed create a lot of music for Bridgebox. We want another way to share it with you guys, especially if we feel it can tie into uh, kind of what we've been talking about in the episode. And we had a lot of stuff in this episode about the idea of uh, getting motivated to not settle, be that in the job or with the dance thing or with the, uh, the relationship thing. So this is actually the song that just came out. This is brand new from this August edition of the Lee Younger Bridge Box. This is a song Lee wrote. Well, Lee's on, Lee sings and plays on it. Our friend Pete Woo. does some bass work. Jed produced it. Woo. It's a song called Better For Me. And as you think going this week with all this stuff, thinking about you know going out and really getting what the Lord has for you, we hope you'll uh, remember this. And if you want a place you can actually download it, get in your iTunes, hear a little video with it, and uh, some songs and chord charts and lots of other good stuff, missionusa.com slash BBLY. Remember, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Since we're going to take yes. you out with Lee's Better For Me. You say that podcast, it's like getting a degree. Awesome. What if I have a secret? Well, I don't want anyone to know. And I'm so afraid it shows. It makes me feel ashamed. And I can't trust you to keep it. What if you see you right through me? What if you think I'm some kind of freak? Don't want to know my name.
Stand the burn